and welcome to this, my fifth episode in the podcast series I've titled The Parson and the Songman. As I continue to talk about the song collecting in Devon by the Reverend Sabine Baring Gould. In the second episode of this series, I mentioned that Sabine had the idea that singers like James Parsons of the village of Lou Dam could have been descended from the 16th century minstrels. At first, this idea may seem unlikely, but then let's take a closer look at our history. From medieval times, minstrels were welcome, talented performers, initially employed as castle or court musicians. They then began to travel far and wide even abroad, performing ballads and telling stories of myths and legends of old, with some they composed themselves. Travelling from town to town, entertaining the public, also being very welcome guests in the houses of the gentry, where they entertained the lords and the ladies of the manors, their families and guests. They would stay for a while and then move on. And all was well in the life of the travelling minstrels, until, in 1597, an act by the English Parliament was introduced forbidding anyone travelling without reason or cause from home, which of course would have included the travelling minstrels. The act forced them to abandon their travels, if they wished to abide by the law. At the time of the act were many vagrants, beggars and vagabonds travelling the highways and byways of England. This act was brought in to stop these unfortunates being on the road. The act then forced the minstrels to settle where they were, give up their nomadic minstrel way of life, find a new trade and settle down. Oh, and why? The minstrels' sudden change of employment, you may ask? Ah, the act of 1597 became law and the punishment for those who did not adhere to the law? Simple. A red-hot poker stuck in the offender's ear. Well, no contest there then, eh? Hang up the loot... Stay put, get married, settle down, tell tales of old and sing songs in the local taverns. Which almost three centuries later is where the Devon folk song collector, the Reverend Sabine Baring Gould, it is highly likely, found their descendants. In his book, Songs and Ballads of the West, Sabine wrote that some of the songmen whose songs he recorded may have been descendants of the travelling troubadours and minstrels, who, until the reign of the Tudors, would have been welcome entertainers, with some gaining regular employment in the great houses of the gentry of Devon and Cornwall. After many centuries in reasonable safe positions of status with the gentry, the travelling minstrels were travelling no more because of this Act of 1597. Well, it looks like the Reverend Gentleman's theory was not so unlikely after all. And here's a reason to support Sabine's theory. If the minstrels' travels were brought to a halt, were their songs kept alive within their families as they were forced to settle down? Did they sing their songs to their children, who then passed the songs on generation through generation of the oral tradition? So the musical talented minstrels of the 16th century had their songs and melodies pass through time to the voices of their possible descendants, like James Parsons of the late 19th century. He was one of the unlettered peasants Sabine found singing in village taverns. Then also consider that Sabine's research in the British Library had proved that the song By Chance It Was, which I sang in the second podcast, had originated from the time of the 16th century minstrels. 
and could well have been passed down from father to son, just as with James Parsons and his father, where they're singing of it. Then the possibility that the song with others had been passed on over the centuries and generations and kept within the repertoire of the Parsons family, from the 16th century minstrels up to the 19th century tavern singers. Is this proof of what might originally have been thought of as a wild theory by Sabine? Also from Sabine's research in the British Library, the song Go From My Window, which I sang in the third podcast, has almost two pages in the notes of Song of the West, giving its background details about the song's origin from the 16th century. As these songs can be traced back to the 16th century, does this not help to further prove Sabine's theory that some of his songmen were descendants of the 16th century minstrels? If so, then I've said his theory was no longer a wild one. While researching the background of songs he was collecting at the British Library, Sabine looked through many broadside ballad collections the library held. The Black Letter or broadside ballads had been in circulation in England from the 16th century and were popular up to the mid-19th century. The invention of the printing press in the 15th century resulted in masses of ballads produced on a single sheet and sold to the public for a penny. The term broadside comes from the size of the paper. Think of the size of the Daily Telegraph today, which is referred to as a broadside. Broadside ballads were the pop songs of the day, an early form of a newspaper. They told topical stories that were sung and were of public interest. The dastardly gunpowder plot, the great fire of London, the victory of the Battle of Trafalgar and Lord Nelson's death. Hangings, politics, naughty husbands, free and easy maids and much humour. All were well covered and published by the printers in many English towns and cities. This now is a broadside I found in the large collection held by the Birmingham Reference Library. It is from a well-known broadside printer, W. Pratt of Birmingham. The song is The Exciseman, and I'll sing it for you now. To a village that skirted the sea, an exciseman one midsummer came. But prudence between you and me forbids me to mention his name. Soon Michael he chanced to espy, a cask on his napper he bore, six gallons of brandy or nigh, and where is the head can bear more? Says the exciseman, let's see your permit. Says Michael, it isn't convenient to show it. T'other cried, sir, I will not be bit. You've smuggled that stuff and you know it. Your hogs to fine markets you've brought. For seeming you've paid no excise. Of customs have settled you ought. I seize on your keg as my prize. Oh, don't be so hard, said poor Mike. The exciseman was deaf to complaint. Then take it, said Mike, if you like. I've borne it till ready to faint. Four miles in hot sunshine they trudged. Between them they'd scarce a dry rag. The exciseman his labour ne'er grudged and cheerfully carried the cag to the customs house in the next town. Twas yet some three furlongs or more, 
When said Michael, pray set your load down, For this here, sir, is my cottage door. T'other answered, I thank you, friend, no, My birth and I yet shall not quit. <laughs> then said Michael, before you do go, I'll get you to read my permit. Your permit, why not show it before? Because it came into my head By you watching for me on the shore That your honour was in need of a job Now I'd need of a porter, do you see? For the load made me bones fit to crack And so, sir, I thank you from me And I wish you a pleasant walk back This has been written by somebody with a, a very good brummy sense of humour And also skilled with a pen well able to tell an amusing tale. It did not come with a tune, so I composed that myself. Printers churned out large amounts of broadsides that were written by the hacks they employed to put pen to paper and write verses covering topics of current interest. Then there were the copies made by the minstrels' old traditional ballads that had words and verses rejigged, given a new title, and hey presto, we have a new song. This was common practice by printers, and Sabine wrote in his reminiscences that he would find a song, take down maybe five versions of it, without knowing which of any of them was the original traditional song or a broadside copy, as he wrote in the following passage from his further reminiscences, 1864-94. to I soon learned to mistrust the words of the songs, which often, but not always, were corruptions of broadside ballads. The printed ballads were not trustworthy. Broadside ballad publishers received the songs and ballads they printed from extremely illiterate singers who had received them orally and corrupted them unintentionally. They were paid a few shillings by the publishers for what they supplied and no attempt was made to verify or edit them from earlier copies. Sabine was right then in his opinion of the easy access the printers took to the songs they were offered by singers. On looking through several broadside collections, it is easy to see how a singer could sing his version of a song to one printer after another as he travelled from town to town, collecting a few shillings from each of his printers for the songs, plus getting a share of the ballads he sold. Once published, the song sheets were taken by singers known as balladeers, who sang the songs in towns and villages and at fairs throughout the country. There was no written music to the ballads, but the tune it would be more than likely come from an existing well-known song. One ballad singer I read about said that he had lived for a year. He spent travelling through Cornwall, singing and selling a song he had composed. He had found a love letter and from it composed a song, worked up a tune for it, which he then had published by a printer. He then sold it as he travelled singing his way through the towns and at fairs in the Duchy of Cornwall. And now for the simple ploughboy, a traditional ballad that in Sabine's opinion had the original version of what has been copied many, many times over as a broadside. As he wrote in the Notes of Songs of the West, this charming ballad was taken down words and music from J. Masters of Bradstone. The version of Old Masters is given exactly as he sang it, and it is but one instance out of many of the superiority of the ballads handed down traditionally in the country by unlettered men to those picked up from the balladmongers employed by the broadside ballad publishers.
Oh, the ploughboy was a ploughing with his horses on the plain, and a singing of a song as on Wemty. Since that I have fallen in love, if the parents disapprove, tis the first thing that will send me to the sea, to the sea. Tis the first thing that will send me to the sea. And when the parents came to know that their daughter loved him so, then they sent a gang and pressed him to the sea. And they made of him a tar to be slain in cruel war of the simple ploughboy singing on the lee, on the lee, of the simple ploughboy singing on the lee. And then this lonely maiden bold, she lined her purse with gold, oh, and from her father's house did quickly flee. And in male attire she dressed with the star upon her breast, all to seek her little ploughboy from the lee, from the lee, all to seek her little ploughboy from the lee. And then she went o'er hill and plain, she went through showers of rain, till she came unto the brink of the blue sea. Saying, I am forever to roam for all the loss of my true love. So am I rewarded for me pain, for me pain. So am I rewarded for me pain. Now the first she did behold, oh, it was a seaman bold. Have you seen my little ploughboy? Then said she. He is just now on the deep, they have pressed him to the fleet, all four to be slain in bloody war, bloody war, all four to be slain in bloody war. Then she went to the captain, and to him she made complain, Oh, a silly ploughboy's run away from me. And the captain smiled and said, Sir, you're a pretty maid, so the ploughboy I will give up unto thee, unto thee, so the ploughboy I will give up unto thee. Then she pulled out a store of five hundred guineas and more, and upon the deck she strewed them, then did she. And then he took her by the hand, he rowed her to the land, where she wed a little ploughboy back from sea, back from sea, where she wed a little ploughboy back from sea. I wonder how often a lad waylaid as this one was and taken up by the press gang got a reprieve by the intervention of his girlfriend. That song is actually on my CD and if you would like a copy of it, by chance it was, then please email me on theparsonandthesongmen 
at outlook.com with the parson and the songmen being all one word. Like any project that Sabine pursued, his knowledge of the broadside ballads and their connection to folk songs was well-founded and researched. He donated from his collection 1,500 of them to the Library of the British Museum. There are also two volumes of the broadside ballad collection he held by the National Library of Wales in Aberystwyth, where I sifted through over 1,200 of them while researching there. This large collection was bought by the library at an auction in Tavistock some years ago. There are some notes on folk songs and a copy of the Beringal Crest pasted on the inside cover of the larger volume. The question, how old are our folk songs, is a common question to which we do not really have an answer. But as you have heard in this podcast, two of the songs I sing can be dated back to the 16th century. Thanks to the research into the background of these songs, collected by Sabine. Then, as I mentioned earlier, there are the broadside ballads which were popular between the 16th to the mid-19th century. So, some of our folk songs we do have an idea of how old they are. But there are many we do not know their age or who wrote them. And to them, the question does go unanswered. I hope you have enjoyed listening to this podcast and will listen again. It was produced by John Tidball. To continue to follow me and to have access to future podcasts, subscribe to Spotify, Google, Facebook, Buzzsprout or wherever you currently get your podcasts from. This has been The Parson and the Songman. From me, Mike Bosworth, thank you for listening and I look forward to producing the next one for you in a couple of weeks. Thank you and goodbye.